Hello, and in this episode, I'm talking to my friend and colleague, Nigel Duckett, who is the Managing Director of PRC Saltillo's Australian subsidiary, Liberator. Nigel began the company with three staff in 2017. And today, as we head towards the close of 2022, it has 20 employees who have successfully established Unity and Lamp Words for Life as widely used vocabulary options for people who use AAC. Over time, Nigel and his talented staff have developed their own Liberator Rugged device range for the demanding autism sector. Now, prior to this, Nigel spent seven years managing the assistive technology business unit for Navita Children's Services. Here, he became acquainted with the entire array of AT products available. Yet it was with Minspeak that he was triggered with a deeper awareness of AAC. He was fortunate enough to work alongside luminaries like Bruce Baker and Gail Van Tatenhoe, bringing them down under for their first time. Now, Nigel actually started working in disability with an accessible taxi firm, driving many nonverbal clients out and about before managing the radio room. There, he forged strong relationships and developed an enduring interest in key disability issues. So, greetings, Nigel. Welcome, and thanks for taking the time to join me in this podcast. Well, thank you very much, Russell, and uh, a pleasure to be here. Wonderful. So, tell me a little bit about yourself and your involvement and developed involvement with AAC. Well, I think that my own journey through AAC is unconventional. Uh, I don't think many trodden the same path as myself. Uh, and it's, it's 35 years ago since I started driving wheelchair accessible taxis. Mm -hmm. um, but I met some incredible characters uh, who were nonverbal and uh, they were up against some truly severe physical impairments. And I think that is the absolute foundation for me when I hit that communication brick wall, uh, that has stood me in good stead. And how did you get involved with Liberator in Australia? Uh, what got you up and running with starting and running a company? My academic background is in it's an honours degree in business studies, um, and so I was uh, I was ready for the challenge, but. Uh, when I was running the assistive technology business unit at uh, Novita Children's Services in Adelaide, PRC products were pretty much our mainstay. Uh, there were two local firms had a, an effective stranglehold on supply of assistive technology coming into Australia. And so by specialising in PRC products, we were able to uh, survive commercially. And uh, I think it's the relationship I built with uh, PRC and especially Semantic Compaction's Bruce Baker that uh, put me in a position to really make success of Liberator. Thinking back to some of those early days setting up and starting a business separate from Navita, what were some of the challenges you had to face? Um, what was it that you had to do in order again to get things up and running and tell me a little more about what you think in relation to 
not the profession of AAC, but the business of AAC. Um, you know, as we've talked about previously, there's a difference between being an AAC professional who works in the field delivering AAC services. But in order to do that, we need folks like yourself and we need folks who are running the businesses in order to ensure that something gets off a shelf and into somebody's hands. So tell me a little bit more about some of those early escapades in doing that. Well, we've always thought of Liberator as being a mission-driven company. Uh -huh. And I think over the last 10 to 15 years, this has become a very trite and hackneyed phrase. Uh, some reprehensible multinational companies uh, claim to be mission-driven. Well, we genuinely believe that we are. And I think this, again, is something we've inherited from PRC as well. Uh, the people who work for us are thoroughly dedicated to improving the lot of nonverbal people. However, what I learned when I was with Novita was it's very difficult to run a commercial business within the framework of a charity. Now that was demanding, mm -hmm. probably a little more obvious in the full commercial field when we start Liberator. What is particularly challenging, I believe, is that we have to remain viable we have to run an efficient business we have to keep margins and we are facing competition so competitors demand that we are able to present information to those working in the field in uh, an informative and uh, instructive manner one of the challenges again is the paucity of training for speech therapists in the academic system uh -huh. uh, it's not just in australia that's the same the world over so to some extent we always attempted to compensate for that by providing not just awareness but education and training uh, around our products and also wider aspects of aac and when you first started the company what were what were the challenges in terms of actually employing people full time? Because I'm guessing at, um, at that point, you know, you were trying to persuade people to move from what might be the regular setting of the profession as providing services as clinicians or educators and moving into this uh, private company where you were doing something very different, which is basically supporting the people who are doing that and supporting and training the trainers etc um, were there any special challenges you felt doing that well absolutely um we didn't really have an established brand uh, it's difficult to attract the right people because we're always looking for the creme de la creme in the aac world and in fact it was such a challenge that we ended up recruiting Maureen Casey from South Africa and arranging visas for her to come over and work for us as a consultant. Maureen's extremely experienced and has the unusual dual qualification of a master's degree in special education, along with 
bachelor's degree in speech pathology, majoring in AAC. Uh -huh. So that, that's the extent to which we uh, we had to uh, delve to make sure that we had a top team available. <laughs> it, it just struck me as well that most of our listeners are, are based in the US here, but with you being based in Australia, I suspect there are some different sort of challenges in terms of geography, um, in terms of delivering services. And also, you don't just cover Australia, um, do you, Nigel? Well, fundamentally, we do. Let me answer that one first. The other obvious market in this neck of the woods is New Zealand. But their funding system, although perhaps years ago it was an appropriate system and I think a smart way to go through centralization, uh, they now have uh, a bottleneck of referrals for high-tech AAC assessment. And that has resulted in effectively a freezing of the market. The funding may be there, but people can't get assessments. So that uh, market has shrunk for us. So fundamentally, it's really Australia. And the curious thing about Australia is that it is, I believe, the most urbanised country in the world. And the vast majority of the population live in the capital cities that hug the coast. Uh, so in, some, in many ways, it is a very uh, easy market to service because of this concentration of population. I think that we were early adopters of virtual meetings and virtual support, telehealth. And so that has also assisted us in being able to look after a surprising number of clients simultaneously. So that's an interesting one. I think certainly from our perspective here in the US that we discovered the value or the increased need for telehealth and tele-rehab during the COVID period when suddenly we were faced with the need to be able to cover ge geographical areas in a similar way that you had to, except we, we were sort of forced into it and we had to move fairly quickly into the world of Zoom meetings and distance learning and distance therapy, I guess. So looking at just yourself uh, again here and your AAC journey, um, as, as you said earlier, you come from a different background from many of our listeners. But in relation to what you're doing now, you know, you're, you're, you've got this company here, you've got over 20 people uh, employed, you are running a business, you're moving equipment, you're doing trainings and all that. Given everything that's happening now, are there things that you wish you'd known earlier in your career that would have, you think, helped you to do what you're doing now and maybe done it a little quicker, a little faster, a little easier? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I was surprised at just how resistant many folk are to reasoned argument uh, in, in this niche field of high-tech AAC. Mm -hmm. It is dispiriting sometimes to repeatedly come across those who lack the energy or resolve to at least try alternative language systems and then gather the data for analysis. The field of AAC is merely a reflection of, of wider society. 
and uh, there's always going to be a proportion of, of people who tend to have a closed mind and uh, are not receptive to new ideas and uh, an alternative methods. And that's one of those things I think that you know we all come across, which is even now after many, many years, 30, 40 years of AAC, we're still having to tell the same story. We're still having to beat the drum for AAC in all its aspects, you know, from low tech to high tech. And it's an ongoing process, even though we are in a position that seems more mature than it was many years ago. There are the same resistances in different ways to implementing and providing AAC solutions. Absolutely right. Yeah. Another question I, I always like to ask people on the podcast is to share with us maybe a memorable failure that you've had, not just from the point of view of failing, but what did you learn from that memorable failure? Well, I'm going to uh, sidestep that question, Russell. <laughs> um, instead, refer to uh, a failure observed. Okay. Um, I, used, I used to drive around uh, a young man with cerebral palsy, and uh, he eschewed voice output AAC and still does, uh, simply because uh, some kind soul at his church told him that if someone couldn't be bothered to get used to the way he spoke, then they weren't worth getting to know in the first place. Mm -hmm. Well, that, that helpful comment um, has confined uh, this person who is highly intelligent, has a degree, is very active in the AAC community, but still relying on uh, his own speech, which is pretty much incomprehensible to most people he meets. And uh, there's no reason why this person with the right supports been a superb communicator uh, and I would say would have been would have been a marvelous min speaker and so I, I see that as a, a failure of all all the therapists and teachers and ancillary workers um, could not could not dissuade him and uh, yes yeah, so I see that as a failure almost a tragedy really. I guess when I ask you a little later on about what sort of tips would you give people in order to improve their skills in terms of AAC. I'm guessing that you're gonna come back to that one. And Yeah. <laughs> Looking back at your career so far, what sort of resources have you found that have been helpful to you in developing your own knowledge and abilities within AAC? The ones that really uh, made a massive difference to me were the PASS software containing all the Unity language vocabularies, uh, having that on my laptop and practicing that and learning the system until I'm a reasonable exponent. That certainly is massively uh, important to me. Some very basic things such as Gail Van Tatenhove's first 300 words list, and more recently, uh, Liberator developed an online course that covers the real basics of AAC. It's called Foundations. It's a free online self-study course. 
it hangs off the Liberator Australia website. And even now, for myself, I love to delve back into that uh, because it's just chock full of some of the, the basic building blocks of knowledge that everyone really should have at their fingertips. I should also mention at this point to folks who are listening that the Liberator website in Australia is, is totally open to folks. So although folks here definitely go typically to the US website, but um, there are resources and information that people can also check out at uh, your website there in Australia. Indeed they can. I uh, said so that's and it's a lot of W's uh, followed by liberator.net.au. Okay, good, good, good. Yes, I, I'll make sure that goes into the show notes as well so that people can take a look. You did mention Bruce and Gail. Are there any other folks that you can think of who've been helpful and influential in your development as uh, an AAC professional? Well, I think meeting and conversing with some tremendous MinSpeak practitioners that really is so incredibly inspiring, motivates myself and my team. There's some terrific uh, communicators here in Australia. Fiona Given is certainly one. Uh, more recently, Siobhan Daly, 20 years old now. She is a real fighter and she has striven to lead an independent life and take control of her own decisions, her own destiny, I might even say. The effort she has to put into constructing every sentence is physically phenomenal. She is so witty and smart and sharp, and she keeps everybody in their place. So <laughs> she is definitely one for the future. Siobhan Daly. And put that in the show notes as well. People can track it down. I'm sure on the interwebs, I'm sure she has some uh, YouTube stuff up there, maybe. There's some clips of uh, Siobhan, I believe, on our, our website as well. So, Okay, good. Nope. We'll point people towards Siobhan Daly on your website and then they'll get to see. And it is interesting that you know many people find that meeting and getting the chance to talk to folks who are actually using AAC systems tends to be particularly inspiring um, in terms yeah. of seeing how they do and what they do and what they have to say. I'm going to give you an opportunity now to think of any of the myths that are out there in AAC and tell me a little bit about which one of those myths you would like to debunk. Well, there's so many, there's so many, and uh, I think it's like... Uh dealing with a, a monster from mythology, really. You, you slice off one head and then suddenly another another head grows in its place uh, quite rapidly. So <laughs> um, having said that, I might be a little controversial here, but I'm going to say that uh, evidence-based practice isn't everything. Um, I think even in physics, we realise that it's not as hard as science as uh, as once purported and speech pathology is certainly not a hard science uh, the research i believe is often weakened by the breadth of the hypothesis or the limited population samples 
Obviously, it's not to be discounted, but neither are genuine stories of success or reliable anecdotes. I think it's vital for speech pathologists to keep an open mind, be prepared to at least try different options and observe colleagues who are making genuine progress. Okay, and certainly when we, you know, we talk about evidence-based practice, you know, we, we have to be aware that there's a, there are three legs to that stool. And one of them, as you mentioned yeah. there, is that the research tells us some things, but the research doesn't tell us everything. And it's important to look on your own clinical abilities as well, and also to listen to our clients, because they're going to tell us a lot as well. And what they're telling us may not be based on the research, uh, but it's valid information. So we, we, we do need to be aware of it. All right. Okay, let's sit back for a little second here and find out a little bit more about Nigel Duckett in relation to what I call the three C's here, which is a little slot where I ask people to tell me something related to culture, courses, and clinical stuff. And my first one here, which is I find really interesting, is, is the culture bit, where I'd love you to recommend either a book or an album or a movie or something cultural for, for listeners. And tell us a little bit about why you recommend that to people. I'm going to nominate an Australian movie, Dance Me to My Song. And the director is Rolf De Heer. And the star is Heather Rose. And both Heather and Rolf shared the plaudits for the screenplay. Now, this is a movie that premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. And Heather Rose, nonverbal, and a user of AAC. He's also someone I used to drive around in my big taxi. I got to know her incredible character. She, again, could have been a marvellous dynamic communicator. But she was hugely restricted by having to compose all her messages, even the script for this film, by pecking through the prediction. Uh, so again, similar to my earlier little anecdote, I found it quite tragic that she was trapped. And in terms of being able to speak to her in real time, incredibly frustrating experience for, for both, both parties. Again, when I asked her why on earth she didn't at least attempt to embrace MinSpeak, she described the speech pathologist who was entrusted with motivating her to try semantic compaction. She described him in very disparaging terms. So he really had failed to establish that relationship with her. And uh, as a result, um, sent her off really in, in the wrong direction. So that is, uh, that's the link. Uh, it's a tremendous uh, film. It's shot around uh, Adelaide. It's got a, has strands of realism and uh, a bit of fantasy, not a bad film. So give me the title again. Dance Me To My Song. Dance Me To My Song, okay. Do you know if that's available on YouTube at all? I don't absolutely know that. Okay. Um, I'm, I think it would be. 
We could check it. I know a couple of months back we had uh, Paul Andres on and uh, for his movies, he he also picked one that he could point to on the uh, on the wonderful YouTube stuff as well. But uh, okay, I'm sure people can check that one out as well. So in terms of my other C, which is courses, are there any courses or conferences that you recommend that uh, people should really try to attend? Yes. Um, when the uh, taxi firm I was working for was uh, unceremoniously shut down by the state government, before I started working uh, at Novita, I took up a bachelor's degree in disability studies. And uh, the professor there invited me to the master's degree after a month, which was very good of him. I must have been doing something right. And uh, that was Professor Roy Ian Brown. He was actually the academic who came up with the concept of quality of life. So quite a prestigious academic. What I learned in that course was the perspective of disability, um, the education factors, the lack of education often, the poverty, the dysfunctional nature of families beset by the stresses and strains of disability and segregation and isolation of disadvantaged people. So I think that one of the unfortunate aspects of AAC, the speech pathology field, is that many who gravitate towards it have little life experience. I think they tend to go straight from college or school to university, and they don't have a, a breadth of, of life experience and, and some of the trials and tribulations that uh, many people with disability have to contend with. I think uh, straight speech pathology studies isn't really adequate to prime someone for uh, making a deeper more informed and integrated contribution to the field. And this is in relation to that you said this was a master's degree that you, you did there? Yeah, I, I completed the first year and then uh, I was offered the job at, at Novita and uh, having to keep the roof over my head and uh, food on the table for my three young children. I, th I thought I'd better, uh, I'd better abandon, that, abandon studies and uh, uh, be a little more practical. <laughs> yes sometimes sometimes there are things that go on in uh, real life that take you out of what you were doing in your academic life that's right are there other conferences actually that that take place in australia that are particularly useful for people the main conference uh, that really dominates the aac scene is agoski which happens every two years and that really is is the main event as such. There have been other events and conferences from time to time, but they, they've come and gone. Seeing as I have the opportunity, I can't hold myself back, Russell, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to plug uh, Liberator because we are holding in March, March the 13th, in Sydney, a LAMP Congress. And so we are going to try and again fill a void that we believe is there and for everybody working in the autism sector we are going to hold a different type of an event that will seek to exchange information and knowledge for all of those attending 
rather than just have a couple of uh, demigods up on the stage, we want this to be a more inclusive event. So that's what we're going to put on in the new year. Okay, cool. Well, remind me of that, and I'll uh, give a shout out again as we get closer to March. Uh, we're getting to the new year. Uh, let me know, and I'll, I'll, I'll remind people that that's coming up. Very kind of you. Thank you, Russell. <laughs> Hey, and uh, one last thing on my three C's here, which is the clinical. And I, I think you've already given some advice, I think, to people in terms of how to improve their clinical practice. Uh, but uh, is there anything else you'd like to say to people out there to say, if you want to be good in your job as an AAC professional, what, sort of, what could you tell them that would be really useful for them to make sure they're doing? Well, of course, I'm... I'm not a clinician, but I have been fortunate enough to observe many of, I would say, the finest in the field. One thing that really is extremely apparent, and that's the need to establish and build relationships with the clients and, and family members. You can't rely on your qualifications and status to gain buy-in. Uh, you do have to earn it. And if you can't earn it, then however good your therapeutic strategies, they will probably amount to very little. Uh, that's that's certainly something that I've noticed has been reinforced by time and time again. By connecting with the family, of course, you can often discover the hidden motivators that can spark a desire in your client to want to try and communicate after inevitably so many years of passive behaviour. This is behaviour that's learned and has been reinforced over many, many years. And that is a huge barrier to break down. And often a mother can supply that little snippet of information that can make a breakthrough in your AAC relationship. And of course, another thing is, I believe, is, is to work hard at achieving competency with the AAC system you're advocating. I think you need to be believable and to be able to demonstrate and model the AAC system dynamically. If you can do that, then I think everyone's going to tend to come along with you. It gives you a lot of credence. So uh, those are those are those are three tips from me. Perfect. Always good to know. And as you say, you're not a clinician, but you are in one of those unique positions where you get to observe and to meet and to interact an awful lot with a, a lot of people in the field so the things you observe are as important as anything else so i think um, it's good to hear those things coming from you as well that's awesome okay how can people contact you if they have any comments or questions after listening to this well i'd be more than happy to receive any inquiries uh, via my email address and that's easy that's nigel at liberator.net.au Brilliant. I'll make sure that goes into the list of things as well. And so, Nigel Duckett, Managing Director of PRC Saltillo's Australian subsidiary Liberator. Thanks very much for taking part and have a great rest of the year. Well, thank you, Russell, for inviting me on the show. And uh, I think it's a terrific thing you've put together here and uh, I'm sure it's uh, creating a lot of benefit out there in the field. Thank you for all your efforts. Appreciate it. Okie doke. You take care now.
I'll get to that.